Welcome to Normal Adjustments. Because not all tales are created equal, and neither are the people that tell them. Welcome everyone to Normal Adjustments. And today I have uh, a special guest as always. And his name is Alex. Welcome, Alex. Hello. Hi. I am going to let you do a bit of an intro about yourself before we kick it off. Oh, well, where do you start? I'm I'm Alex, uh, 34. I'm a comedian. We were just talking about this. <laughs> yes. I'm going to define myself as a comedian. Good. Um, but the reason that we're talking today is because um, three years and coming up to five months ago I realized that I was an alcoholic so uh, I've been in recovery since then and have been sober ever since so yeah well congrats on your three years and five months thank you very much <laughs> and the reason we were just laughing of those things that are difficult to describe because it requires you to box yourself and that we are in this like ever-ending forever um loop of defining things in a way that you can box them and you just said a very good quote that I want you to repeat it on that topic yeah it was just really about how it's very difficult to kind of articulate what it is that you do so you end up sort of muddling through it and it reminded me of a quote where someone wrote a letter to someone and said I'm sorry I wish I could could have sent a shorter letter but I didn't have time yeah absolutely and I love that <laughs> But no, thank you for being here. Uh, thank you for accepting. I always like to do a little anecdote about how I meet people and how do I know Alex. And I think this is wonderful and fabulous. And it's because Alex and I met on Hinge, which is a dating app for anybody that, where people that don't know. We connected, uh, this was uh, late last year. Between your profile and what you have and what I have in my profile, which I'm quite honest about, like my journey with lymphedema, my Instagram is linked I think we said I think we will have a good conversation let's just go for a walk yeah it was lovely it's it was one of those isn't it where I think sometimes on dating apps I think there's this like prerequisite that ultimately you're trying to look to meet your like partner for life you mm -hmm. know whereas actually fundamentally you can meet a lot of people that you really click with or connect with and what's really nice is that yeah we went on a date had a lovely chat and realized actually that we just got on really well, you know, which is such a nice, um, such a nice takeaway, especially at the moment where you don't really get to see people. Absolutely. It's so nice, you know, yeah. it's so nice to know that actually you can connect with quite a, quite a lot of different people in loads of different ways. You don't need to be so, for me on dating apps, it's actually like, you can realize that you can have so many different interactions with different people. And it's actually just a lovely way to meet new people, you know? To meet wonderful people like yourself. Um, like. thank you. And when we had, when we were talking, uh, we connected a lot about like our journey, right? Uh, and your journey, I think it's something that it really inspired me and that you talk about very honestly and very candidly about, and I wanted to give you the floor because I, I think it's something people should listen to. I think we should start from the start. What was your relationship with alcohol and what, what brings us here? So. The thing about being British and drinking is that <laughs> it is drilled into you from a very young age. You know, it's kind of, I, I come from a, um, a small uh, like village in Kent and there's not really that much to do other than go to the pub. So from a very young age, like you're always, your main focus really is trying to get served alcohol. That, that's your, so you always kind of target the person who looks oldest in your group, you know, the person who started shaving earliest, etc. So you could kind of get drunk, go out, you know, and that was kind of my life. But I remembered, I always sort of associated drinking with being fun. And they say quite a lot in recovery that um, what starts as fun then becomes fun with consequences and then it just becomes consequences. Mm. And for me, I actually had crippling OCD when I was like 12 or 13 to the point where I kind of believed everything that my head told me to do. So I needed to flick light switches on and off. Um, I had a <laughs> mad story where 
for a while I had to listen to Forgot About Dre before I could leave my room. It was like really nuts. Like I was very superstitious. I kind of held on to old deodorant cans that I thought were lucky. I had to touch wood. You know, it was a crazy existence. And when I was 13, I basically nearly had what I can only describe as a near nervous breakdown. Not that anybody would know because I was a big people pleaser. So I never showed it, but internally I was crumbling. And then I remember when I started drinking, I stopped giving a shit about all of the stuff that had happened to me before. I just didn't care. I felt comfortable in people's company because the reason I was so OCD was because I needed to get people to like me. Mm-hmm. And I did that through comedy. So it's funny that I still work in comedy now, but you know, it was always about like laughter was my currency, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so when I drank, I didn't care what people thought and I became the clown. But as I got older, I remember at university, kind of the wheels came off quite a bit. I managed to really struggle through that, but it was only when I got into the world of work that I, I went to work in an ad agency and it was kind of kind of encouraged, but at the same time, you know, I was sleeping under the desk while I was on work placement, you know, just doing things that you would never normally do. I remember I was really bad to live with because I just, I left the door open, you know, I got drunk, left the oven on, you know, I never had any money because I was just um, pissing my money up the wall every month. So there were times where I kind of had to wait for like biscuits to be passed around in meetings because I just spent all my money on alcohol. It was like really bleak. I couldn't afford travel, you know, so I had to, I got a bike so I could cycle in because I could never afford to travel even on the tube, you know, like I couldn't even afford two pounds maybe after like two weeks of the month um, because I just spent it all on alcohol and it got, it got worse before it get got better Um, But there was a point where I started, I was with someone in a long-term relationship and for a long time, it felt like my symptoms had kind of lessened, Mm -hmm. but I realized I was actually using her as a bit of an emotional crutch. But what started happening was that um, when I was drunk, I started to do things that I swore that I'd never do. Like um, I hit on her friends when I was in blackout and what led me to go in was realizing that actually I was drawing all I can describe it as was um, I was drawing lines in the sand that I swore that sober me would never cross. And then drunk me was more than happy to cross them. And it just reached a point where I just thought, you know what? Like I keep on saying sorry, but I keep on doing it again. Mm -hmm. And so I need to um, something needs to change because I'm about to grenade this relationship And also, I know that it's not me. There was like a a small part of me going, Alex, this isn't you, but my behavior begged to differ. And that is the worst feeling that actually knowing that there's nothing you can say because you've already tried to say it. So all you can do is try to change. And I kind of had a light bulb moment where I was like, I've got a problem with alcohol. I need to do something about it. Um, But yeah, it was kind of a, it hit me literally in I couldn't have even told you maybe four four seconds before my girlfriend at the time came in and said you've done it again I would never have told you that I would now be three years and five months sober you know I I never knew that was going to happen so yeah I think what I'm fascinated about is how do then you do a switch from those incidents and say okay I'm going to make this this decision Mm. well I can only say that I genuinely have no idea why that time, because there were plenty of other moments across my drinking career that was so mortifying. Wait a second, drinking career? Yeah, my drinking career, yeah. <laughs> okay. I retired, yeah. Fab, okay. Was, well, it was only, I, I've heard people describe it as that because it was so full on that it was actually more, it was more emotionally involved for me than any job I'd ever had, you know? And I also thought I worked quite hard, but like, drinking wise I put so much time and effort into it and it was so I have no idea why that day it stopped but I think part of it was because up until that point I had no self-worth whatsoever and so it didn't really matter what happened to me like Mm -hmm. 
it, it didn't matter if I was th that guy who was told to leave a party because he was too drunk. You know, it didn't matter if I didn't have any money. Like I was living out. It was like a self-fulfilling prophecy for me. So I was basically the piece of shit that I thought I was. Whereas when I saw what I was doing to someone that was totally innocent, I could see it in her eyes that I was like breaking her with my behavior. And I just remember feeling like it's fine for this to happen to me, but I cannot do it to someone else. Mm -hmm. And I'd always imagined that it was always me that came off worse. And I was seeing it in someone's face that that wasn't true. Yeah. And so that definitely was probably the catalyst for me to go, what are you doing? Um, but like I said, it was so synonymous with fun that that was the first time that I'd ever admitted that I had a problem because I didn't know my life was so interfused with alcohol. I was like, I don't even know what my life would look like mm -hmm. if it wasn't there. I don't know if I'm going to keep hold of any of my friends. I don't know what to talk about. I don't know where to go because I always went to the pub. You know, I don't even know. I didn't even know what I did for fun. So it was like a whole identity that you have to kind of break away from because you're like, I am literally headed to ruin here. Um, so I need to stop, but I don't know what that looks like. So you kind of are jumping into the void, which is the scariest part, I think. How do you approach that? Well, I mean, in recovery, basically, they kind of talk about keeping it a day at a time. Because mm -hmm. I think if you were to try to consider what your life was going to look like and, and to try and get in your head at that very early stage that you might never drink again, that would be quite a big pressure to put on yourself. Yeah. It's just to basically break it down and go, look, a day at a time, I'm not going to drink. Um, you kind of start there and slowly but surely you can go through various 12 step programs to effectively see for me it's a mental illness so it's like a progressive thing so it's not about the thing that I realized was that I always thought that being an alcoholic was something that someone did when you were like 75 you're on a park bench you're drinking you know out of a brown paper bag but then I realized that actually um it wasn't about how much you drank it was about when you started you couldn't stop you genuinely yeah. couldn't stop and once I realized that and once I went to recovery meetings, I kind of found that the um, what I'd got in my head wasn't true, that there were basically people like you and me who were all suffering, who had all reached the same conclusion, albeit in different ways, and knew that they also had to put the drink down. And we all realized that effectively we had the same mental condition. Mm -hmm. And it kind of went back to me to that like OCD back when I was 12 or 13, where I was my my behavior and uh, like my mental state was that of total fear about my thoughts I genuinely oh. believed all my thoughts were real um I was terrified I felt like my mental health was kind of like a house of cards and so only when I stopped drinking did I suddenly realize like okay there is a mental illness that underlies this the alcohol kind of numbed as an anesthetic and then it's about actually dealing with that illness a day at a time. So I don't need to drink, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Um, and is that when you say illness, is it addiction? Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Like I've got a friend, one of my best mates, um, me and him do comedy together. And I remember us drinking together. We went up to the Edinburgh Fringe. I don't think I've ever told anybody the story before, but we went up to the Edinburgh Fringe. We worked for about like after work every night maybe four or five nights a week and then all day Sunday we wrote this show it took us a long time to write it went up to the Edinburgh Fringe and I got hammered every single night to the point that before the show started every day I was out the back like either being sick or gagging because of um the impacts of adrenaline was having with the alcohol in my system and my friend was looking at me being like why would you just not drink? Mm -hmm. But I just didn't have a choice. You know, like I genuinely did not even have a choice to do it. It was it was just a given that as soon as we finished, I was going to have a drink. And once I'd have one, I'd probably have about eight or nine. I'd probably black out. And that was just, it was like accepted. Like I hadn't even acknowledged that there could be another way of life to it. 
And that's what addiction is, is it, it persuades you for me that that is normal. Yeah. Um, whereas to other people, he'd be like, just don't drink. Yeah. You know, that, and it's that simple. And I've got that towards other things, you know, like I don't, I don't get, uh, I haven't been addicted to gambling. So for me, gambling is something I can pick up. I could literally, you know, do the grand national sweepstake and then go, yeah, that's all right, but I'm not going to do it again. Whereas for other people, you know, like it is a compulsion and that's all I can describe it as is like, once you start something that it's not even, it's like you're on autopilot yeah. and you don't even know where it's going to finish. And the only way it finishes for me is by drinking so much that I go unconscious that that is it. And it's so talking about it now reminds me how scary that is. Yeah. Um, well, absolutely. Because you, you just describe it as like a feeling of not being in control and what, made you the illusion of giving you control over over some things becomes your worst enemy because then it actually makes you have no control at all and and I have to say like I am always fascinated by for a person that I don't consider myself an addict an alcohol addict but I wondered in moments that I've gone too far or in moments that I've craved it I wonder when do you when do you decide that you are alcoholic or not or that you have an alcohol dependency because i know there's so many kind of tiers of um categorizations up so do you know those differentiations yeah i think so i think i've got a wide cross-section of friends who all drink in different ways mm -hmm. and i would say that some people are heavy drinkers, some people are light drinkers, some people self-medicate, you know, like when they're going through a tough time, they'll drink, which I know is a lot of people, especially at the moment. Mm -hmm. The difference for me is what happens uh, to that person during and afterwards, mm -hmm. you know, like, because for me, it became a string of consequences. And so, it, you know, you woke up every day not knowing how you got home, um how much you spent the night before knowing that you didn't really have that much money anyway um you probably upset someone so you were scared about who was going to get in touch with you or who saw you and people that are heavy drinkers just don't i kind of almost see it as like it, it's well it's described uh, by a lot of authorities as like an allergy mm. you know but and that's a neat for me that's a neat way of thinking about it that for some reason when alcohol goes into my system something happens that is different from other people's yeah and um it can be very destructive whereas for other people who are heavy drinkers i'd imagine like firstly i always thought that blacking out was normal you know like every time i drank i would say i blacked out 95 percent of the time like wow. genuinely i think I've, i can count on two hands the, the times where I hadn't blacked out, probably. Um, and then part of it is also that if you were to wake up, if you were a heavy drinker and you were to wake up with some of the consequences that I woke up to or that other people who are alcoholics wake up to, you would just stop. Whereas actually I found as an alcoholic is I woke up with those repercussions and then I carried on doing it. Yeah. And that's when you realize that you don't have the power, you know? Yeah. Did it affect the relationships along the way beyond besides your um, girlfriend at the time? Like, did, do you have other narratives about something similar? Yeah, I think uh, it did. It impacted. I think it impacts um, friendships and relationships in different ways, because I think with friends, sometimes, you know, alcohol is kind of like the thing that brings you together. Mm -hmm. And I think when you become sober, it can often hold up a mirror to other people, you know, mm -hmm. and sometimes that can be uncomfortable. Sometimes you realize that your friendships were founded upon a mutual love of getting hammered, which is totally <laughs> fine. You know, it's almost like you both were there for each other as you got through something that you needed to get through. But when you get sober, you kind of, I suppose you just end up looking for something more and because you can't, you don't really go to the, I don't really go to the pub anymore. So you kind of have to try and you just naturally gravitate towards people who kind of feel like they're on a similar path to you. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um, but I'd say also, you know, the, the benefits and the advantages are huge. Like 
my relationship with my family now is um we were always very close but i was very unreliable um i never really showed how grateful i was to them and i just always felt like the black sheep of the family whereas i don't do that anymore you know i'm responsible and like i you know like it's it's really small stuff but to, to a lot of people but like it actually gets me quite emotional but like my sister asked me to help her move house before Christmas you know she never would have asked me before because I'd have turned up drunk or bailed I'd made it about me you know I'd have left them in the lurch I'd have slept through whereas I was able to show up help her move house and it's weird that you just I was a social hand grenade you know like so I never got invited to things and my sister would never invite me to birthday parties because she just wouldn't know which Alex would show up, you know. So it has a huge impact when you get sober. And I think also on that relationship, even though it's now ended, like she could see how much work I was putting into staying sober, yeah. you know, because it is work. It requires a lot of daily work. Obviously it's worth it, but because there's such a, people don't know about alcoholism and there's, it's not the same as if someone has another illness, you know, there's no compassion there because mm -hmm. of what you've done, you know, and, and in those cases, like you need to stand up and be accountable for what you've done. But without finding other people that are like you, uh, I, I would think if I just stuck to my kind of original group of friends, it would be very difficult because they don't know. Similar to your lymphedema, you, I, th I feel like you need to speak to people who understand what you've gone through and what mm -hmm. you go through on a daily basis. And that's where I want to unpack now, because you, you said, you basically you talk about like a before and after, right? And a transformation. So how did that transformation look like? Like what steps do you start taking that day in, in which, besides not picking up a drink, <laughs> is... How do you approach that? Like you say, I'm not going to pick up a drink, but then it starts getting difficult, right? Like you said, it's like, it's about in recovery, they say one day at a time. So what else, what other mechanisms do you use in order to kind of make this something that you achieve? And then what changes did you start seeing in yourself? What I personally did was I kind of reached out to someone who had spoken on social media about how happy they were to be sober. Okay. And I remembered reading it. I remembered reading it maybe two or three years before. And I just remember reading it on Facebook and was like, interesting. And then as soon as I had that kind of rock bottom moment, I got in touch with that person and just asked what they did. And they told me about going to recovery meetings, which are kind of 12 step programs. And um, whilst I can't talk about necessarily what goes on there because it's an anonymity thing, mm -hmm. what I can say is that you go through a program whereby you become accountable and you pledge to kind of live your life in an honest capacity. So it's really not about you anymore because by all accounts, when you were managing your own life, you ended up beaten to a pulp. So you kind of have to believe in something bigger than yourself and actually try to almost live you basically try to live a life of service and honesty mm. because alcoholism is something for me that manifests in dishonesty and shame and guilt and you know it forces you into becoming kind of um like a kind of a, a Mr Hyde version of yourself it's kind of about keeping your side of the street clean and just trying to live your life as honestly and as um helpfully as you can mm. because it's a it's an illness which um is quite a selfish one if i'm honest because it, it it's always about me i'm only speaking from my perspective by the way but it's always about me so the more i can do to help other people who might be in similar situations to me that's how i help myself it's kind of that quote, you know, to keep it, you need to give it away. Mm. Um, and I don't always get it right, but I need to make sure that also I call myself out because, you know, dishonesty was a massive part of my life before. I used to lie all the time. And so it's kind of like a zero tolerance um, perspective to all of that, because if I, if I start lying, it will start to build cumulatively. And next thing I know, I'll be doing something that I, you know, I'll lie to myself and then it, it just gets worse. So I just need to try and almost live a life of 
transparency, honesty, and kind of being useful to others. Yeah. And that's kind of, and it, and it has, to be honest, when I've got out of my own head, it's, it's genuinely changed my life. How did that transformation then, what other things did you experience? Because the reason I want to explore that is because the same way you said the opposite of you drink, then you get into a loop of shame, then you get into a loop of lying, etc. How kind of like, I said rewiring, I would say that unwiring that to go into the other way of honesty and then physically feeling better how then that becomes uh, an addiction on a different path in itself. Yeah, I mean, they say, they say addiction swaps seats. So um, if you're not addicted to something, you'll be addicted to something else. And I find that it's a permanent look at my, you have to constantly review your life. So for example, you do certain things like you write an inventory of kind of how, of any fears or resentments you've got, you know, to keep yourself in check just because you kind of constantly need to share things um, to make sure that you're not going to drink on anything, you know, because if you're feeling shame, a lot of people drink on shame, a lot of people drink on happiness, you know, and it's just trying to sort of manage your emotions in a way that um, means that you don't have a reason to drink. You always talk, basically, you talk out your problems rather than what I used to do, which was drown them. <laughs> and what happened was that I kind of almost needed to, to I needed to almost like grow up um because I never did you know like my solution was getting drunk and that was to every single problem or solution and so I kind of needed to go through when I got sober like obviously you get all of the benefits that you've just spoken about like I started to make it to the end of the month money wise you know I, I stopped being scared about money um I knew exactly what I did at all times. I left parties with dignity, which I heard someone share about. And I was like, oh my God, I have never left a party. And, you know, dignity. I always made an embarrassment of myself. So I was like, that was a really big one. Um, I started to look after myself. I, um, I actually started to look at other parts of like my diet and try to just be healthier bit by bit. Because suddenly when you start to make that decision, everything else suddenly comes on the microscope and you can really feel it. Like if you're dishonest or you're doing something that is unhealthy for you across the board, whether it could be like you're, you've got an unhealthy um, uh, like connection to dating or love or sugar or whatever, it all comes under the microscope and you've got a chance to reevaluate and reappraise it and go, okay, there's something in this that I don't really want to hold on to either. And what I've realized is that I'm quite a slow learner, but fundamentally I kind of have gone through loads of different rock bottoms after my alcoholic one, where I kind of let go of sugar. I let go of thinking that meeting a girl was somehow going to fix me, you know, like all of these weird beliefs, but I did it without needing to pick up a drink. And it's kind of that, it's that amazing thing where when you stop drinking, all of this stuff starts bubbling up to the surface and that's when you need to deal with it. Like I did go to, I went to therapy at the same time. I saw a life coach for a bit, you know, and it all, for me, it's that kind of that quote, like all roads lead to Rome, you know, like all of that work helps. Um, but slowly, but surely like a meditation. Oh my God. That was, I remember someone said to me in the very early days, they were like, I think you need to meditate as a matter of urgency. <laughs> and um, I remember like, that was a big thing for me because it made me realize that I am not my thoughts. Mm -hmm. And that was something that had terrified me since I was about 11 or 12. So I would say what it gives you um, in terms of the unpacking is like a platform to build a life on. And then all of that time when you're not drinking, because you get so much time back because you're not hung over or drinking, okay. you suddenly can actually start to look at the rest of your life and go, okay, what is it that I actually want to do? You know, so I suddenly started working in a career I wanted to work in, you know, because I had the financial freedom. I went freelance. I was able to actually um, kind of move away from friendships that weren't quite working for me or didn't give me that much stuff. I could move closer to my family you know, like there were so many benefits, but it is very much a, if I could, because I'm very impatient, 
I would want everything to have happened within literally two months. I'd be like, let's just do this. I'm going to quit drinking. I want to get everything. Whereas actually the best thing for me is realizing that um, I don't know what is best for me. And actually like taking my time with these things means that I've now, I now live a life that is a lot more serene and happy and I don't need that much. Whereas before I always needed stuff to fix me, if that makes sense. Absolutely. I totally understand and can relate to what you're saying, of course, from a different angle, but it's about challenging. When you start challenging your preconceived notions, which is what I did, you did that, but you also challenged what you constructed your life on, which you understood that it was destructive for yourself. And that it's scary. I think that you said it at the beginning. It's like the fear looking away from fear it's extremely difficult but creating those mechanisms that allow you to be able to express like you just said be happy I think it's wonderful if we can kind of explore what would those fears were Mm. and how would how did you challenge those and how does that look like now when I was younger they kind of went unchecked you know they were like yeah like you said they were just very invasive thoughts um and I remember at the time I just know how I had no way of dealing with them and I think I tried loads of different ways I remember I read this book when I was like 17 or 18 maybe a bit older called The Joy of Living which was about my, my dad's a spiritual healer so in our in our house there are loads of books about spirituality and I remember I tried looking to spirituality and I remember reading this book on meditation. And that was where I had a real penny drop moment where I tried, it, it gave you, me an exercise to try and focus on, as, as close my eyes and focus on my biggest fear for as long as I could. And it said, guaranteed in about five seconds, your brain will move on to something like, oh, I quite fancy a sandwich. Mm. I remember I tried that and I couldn't focus on the fear for longer than about five or six seconds and something in me totally just disappeared and I remember just going oh my god and that was kind of the first moment that the fears kind of didn't um totally cloud my mind like I I put so much belief into every thought I had and those thoughts were kind of they were always about um me not being myself Mm -hmm. I had a really crazy situation where I remember I used to always ask my dad when he was dropping me at school, am I being myself? I remember he was like, I mean, of course you are. But for me, it was about I needed to be on my A game all the time because that's how I got I got my validation from other people. So if someone ever didn't laugh at a joke of mine, I would be crushed, crushed. And um, so I had to just constantly be joking because that was kind of my fuel. But yeah, it was it was fears of that. I remember when I was younger, it was I was afraid that if I didn't flip light switches on and off, I would get cancer. Like, you know, it was mad. My brain was kind of connecting things that never would ever be connected. And then when I kind of came into when I went into sobriety, um, yeah, I just remember reading The Power of Now and it said, if you can see your thoughts, then how can you how can you be your thoughts? And I remember just being like, wow. And now I would say that I meditate every morning and those fears, like I I get afraid. I think genuinely I'm a very scared man. And I know that sounds like an odd thing, but I get scared about everything. Um, And I need to acknowledge that because I think a lot of people, there's sort of a toxic masculinity thing, which means that you can never admit that you're scared of something, but I'm scared of stuff all the time. And the only thing that I can do is keep talking about it because when I do, it reduces the shame. What I've realized is that someone told me is that basically alcoholism is a free floating anxiety. Like Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter what, it will always attach itself to something. Mm -hmm. But now by and large, I I kind of let those thoughts sail through my mind. There's a couple that always scare me. Like thinking about whether I'm going to drink or relapse is a terrifying thought. Yeah. Um, because of what I've got to lose 
Yeah. But like, I would say by and large now, my thoughts, I think I've realized that they are so invasive sometimes and like sometimes really dark, sometimes really grim, but actually I know that it's not me. Mm -hmm. So I don't buy into them as much or I don't see myself as much of a bad person because before every single dark thought I had reinforced the belief that I was a bad person. Whereas now I just kind of see it as my head, you know? Absolutely. Um, I also have OCD in a different way. It's it's just on, on thought. The, the reason I decided to be a positive person, I think this decision, right? How many people consider me a positive person? I think it w- it's been my mechanism in order to beat the amount of negativity that was feeding myself. So when I talk about the challenging pattern, I did that on purpose. Like I created that mechanism because from every negative, I said, I'm going to try to find a positive. And it, there hasn't been one time that I couldn't been able to do it, you know? And then that's how you start seeing that everything is in perspective. You say that that was for you meditation. Um, what other things have you kind of like adopted as like way of life that enables you to kind of first reach to your goal, which I guess it is, stays over. Um, and second, to kind of live this happier life. Mm. It's, I mean, that's the thing I think is, I, I definitely did exactly the same thing as you, where I realized that there are two paths that you can go down. And I became an unbelievable, like an, a, a hopeless optimist. You know, I was like, I would always be upbeat, even when it didn't necessarily require it, just because I think I was scared of being a pessimist. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I do now is... I do a gratitude list. Yeah. Um, I have I've been a, doing that too in lockdown. Oh, it's so it good. Is, I think that's the thing that people, I realise that like, and this is all part of the rewiring that I don't feel like people are inherently positive or negative. You might be more predisposed to it or have a propensity for it. But for me, gratitude is a practice. You know, it is not, it's not I'm positive person or I'm a negative person and that I just have to put up with that because for me I'm like I know that I'm probably more predisposed to being negative but I don't want to be negative so and I've realized that gratitude is I remember hearing on a TED radio hour talk where they said um happiness doesn't create gratitude gratitude creates happiness and I remembered after that it really stuck with me because I was I had a weird moment on a train where I was listening to that podcast, I'd missed my stop, so I was feeling kind of really ungrateful. <laughs> and um, a guy, as I was standing by the doors, waiting for the next train stop to arrive, which was like 20 minutes past the station I'd forgot to get off at, um, came over and started talking to me about the power of gratitude. And I remember just being like gobsmacked because it was such a weird moment. I had my headphones in, I was not encouraging any kind of, I'm quite an approachable guy, but at that moment, I definitely wasn't feeling approachable. And this guy was evangelizing about how gratitude had changed his life. And I was just thinking as I listened to him, like on paper, I don't know who would have won in terms of material stuff, Mm -hmm. but he was grateful to be on a commute. And I remember being like, who is this guy? (laughs) You know, like, who is- Nobody likes a commute. Nobody likes a commute, but he was because, uh, but he did because he, um, he'd never done it before. And I just realized then that gratitude is a perspective and it's a practice. Mm -hmm. And um, I realized then that like, I needed to cultivate this, um, this gratitude on a daily basis. So kind of what I do really every morning is I meditate, I write out my kind of fears and resentments, um, I then do a gratitude list just to make sure that I feel really level. Um, And I kind of sometimes when I remember, do like a balance sheet at the end of the day about what went well and what didn't go well. And um, because I think that's always nice to just remind myself that actually I'm doing things like calling people who are also um, recovering alcoholics to be of service, which also makes me feel uh, good about myself. 
And it's those little things that I think over the course of the day, like for me, it's all about setting your day up right. If I follow those, um, if I do those things before I look at my phone, before I get out of bed, you know, I know that I will probably 80% chance I'm going to have a decent day because I'll mm. feel like I'm ready. And that has just been a recipe for, yeah, I would say that even when I am anxious, it breaks down, not even to like, I don't wipe off days. Mm -hmm. It might be like half an hour here or there. You yeah. Know? I do it at night otherwise, um, because my problem is nights. Um, I I have, I've struggled with sleeping for my whole life. As long as I can remember, um, even I went through a thing when I was a teenager <laughs> in which um, I thought that I read in a somewhere that when you are 70 something years old, I can remember how, um, how old, the amount of hours you slept accounted for like 30 years of your life, something like that. So you only left like 40 of those. And that was like mind blowing for me. So I decided I was not going to sleep. And that was a very bad idea. And still I have very sleeping, bad sleeping habit. But um, therefore, like, but sleep, because I'm, I'm, I tend to be more of like a night owl. My anxiety gets very much um, manifested at night. So I'm doing my journaling at night. But what I wanted to touch on, what then, what has those last three years looked like? What is that process of kind of like saying, yes, I'm an addict and I'm an alcoholic. Like when you accept it to yourself, like when you're able to say those words. Uh, and since that moment on, what's been your life in the last three years? It's been mind blowing, to be honest. I'd say it's been better than I ever would have thought. And it doesn't mean that it hasn't been difficult. It's been faced with a lot of challenges because I felt like I've really had to grow up. Um, and that has meant that I've done things that have been nothing short of nuts, especially for love and relationships. I was totally unboundaried and needed to really learn how to not see other people as needing to fix me. You know, like I just almost needed to kind of go through my teenage years again. I kind of felt like, and I think I'm still going through them, but it's it's been mad. Like the first, after, I mean, after six months or seven months into me being sober, me and my uh, partner at the time broke up because it wasn't quite right. We wanted different things and that was really brutal, but it was amazing because, um, we parted in a really loving way, you know, like it was very respectful and it was a really beautiful moment. Like, I think I'll remember that forever actually. And it was kind of the opposite of what I was doing, which was blowing it up. You know, I was blowing it up. And um, so it was amazing to kind of give that relationship the respect it deserved by parting on a really loving, in loving capacity. And then it's just kind of, the, the best way I can describe it is that like once you suddenly get in the in the habit of sobriety, it's really about showing up and kind of stepping up for life. You know, like you get loads more opportunities. You will crash and burn. That is the nature of life. But the good thing is, is that I don't need to resort to drinking when I do crash and burn. And I do crash and burn all the time, you know, like, but that's fine because ultimately my life isn't predicate. I don't go into things predicated on whether it's going to be successful. Like I'd love for them to be successful, but faith for me is knowing that whatever happens, I'll be okay. It's not, which it used to be, which is I'll only be okay if I get everything that I want. Absolutely. You know? And um, so I stopped asking for stuff. You know, I stop kind of, um, you know, praying for things that I think I need because I realize that I don't know what I I don't know what I need, you know? And so it kind of takes the pressure off really. And you can just enjoy life for what it is. And yeah, like the past three years, three and a bit years, I've been able to go away. I've been able to, um, this past year has been amazing actually. It's been a real, I, I had a lot of debt, like a lot of debt. And it was getting worse and worse to the point where last February, I broke down in a recovery meeting because I had not wanted to look at it. And I was, I didn't realize at the time, but I was about 48,000 pounds in debt. And I was like, 
it was it, I was I have more shame from that than I than I had of being an alcoholic and um it it was crushing me like it was crushing me I was paying about 1500 a month in interest every month like it, it was crazy but then I didn't drink and then I spoke to a friend of mine who then basically um told me he just heard me talk about it in passing and was like oh I think I could help and he changed my attitude to finance and debt and through his help this is nuts this is the kind of stuff that happens when you're sober right I've been able to pay off um over half of that since April so I've I've nearly paid off 25,000 pounds congrats that's amazing and that yeah that that is kind of the stuff that happens which is that magical things happen you know, like I never thought I would get out of debt. I just thought that again was, I was bad with money. That was just who I thought I was. But now I know again, none of these things are fixed. And actually like, if you um, dare to look at these things and to talk about them, because I had so much shame up until that point, if it stays in my head, it becomes a problem. If I talk about it, it immediately dissipates. It doesn't matter what it is. And it doesn't matter how many times my head goes you can share everything, but not that. Like that is exactly the thing that you should share because as soon as you talk about it, the shame dissipates. And like my like my debt, I swore I would never tell anybody, you know, and it was killing me. It was killing me. Um, and so, yeah, the past three and a half years, they haven't been easy, but it kind of reminds me of, I read a quote when I was first early in, quite early in, and it said, a smooth sea makes for an unskilled sailor. And I would say that kind of defines what the last three years have been because I've got this incredible relationship with my family now. I'm paying back the debt I was in. I have a, a wonderful life. I get to live honestly. I get to tell the people that I love how much they mean to me, which I was never able to do before because I've got an emotional vocabulary. But it doesn't, it, it comes at the price that I need to work for it. I need to invest in myself. Mm -hmm. I'd never done that before. So it's kind of the ultimate self-care, you know? And it means that I've actually got a design for living. So I know how to deal with life. And that is the best part about it. I know that fundamentally, whatever happens to me, which and stuff will happen because that is life. No one ever said that it was going to be easy, that I can deal with it. And that's where my serenity comes from. It doesn't come that everything's going to go my way Absolutely. because that's unrealistic. It's wonderful that in a way that a negative kind of brought so many positives for you. It, it's when you realize actually that nothing for me can be inherently good or bad because that was the worst moment of my life. And now it's turned into probably the best thing that ever happened to me because it shook me out of what I was doing to myself. So I think there are always opportunities to learn. You know, you've just got two roads with everything that happens to you. You can either go down one path or the other. And it's a conscious choice to go down the path that probably yields the most fruit at the end, even though it might be the trickiest one, you know? Yeah, and that's the, you said that that phrase about the uh, smooth sea does not make us skilled sailor. That's totally it, right? Um, and I'm gonna play a bit of devil advocate here, though. I don't know if the correct term is devil advocate, but is there a place or time, or do you think you ever drink again? Someone told me this the other day, actually, because I was kind of a bit nervous. I've been feeling a bit up and down recently, and I know that I don't want to drink again, but sometimes my head is the, the intrusive thoughts manifesting going, why not? You know, maybe things have changed. And someone very wise said to me, Alex, you can drink, you know, everybody can drink. Mm -hmm. What you can't do is drink safely. Mm -hmm. And that really stuck with me because I have lost, I have lost the chance to do that again to myself. You know, like I've done it enough. You know, I, I tried every week since I was 18 to drink like a normal person. A lot of the time, more than once, twice, three times a week, you know, and I, I, I got sober when I was 31. So that's 13 years of trying to drink every week, like a normal person and I didn't do it it is not worth it for me to try one more time, regardless of what my head is telling me. And my head often goes, it's fine, you know? And I've even mm -hmm. got friends who go, surely you can have a drink now. And it's like, this is not, 
if if you were to consider it like an aggressive allergy if you had a really aggressive nut allergy just because you hadn't eaten a nut in three years would not mean suddenly that you could just hammer through a bag of peanuts you know like that's just not how it works so i need to apply the same rigor that i cannot drink safely and um it's not worth it mm-hmm. it's it's fundamentally not worth it um because of the life that i've got now so yeah i would uh, even though it's a day at a time i would very much hope and pray that i never drink another drop of alcohol again and i hope that too and thank you for speaking so honestly because i think it's a story that has inspired me and i hope inspires others and before we close because in these journeys of acceptance and in these journeys of transformation at least i found myself thinking of young nicole and If I could give advice to young Nicole, what would that be? So I ask you, if uh, you can give a 13-year-old Alex advice, what would that be? It, it would be to do with my mind. And I think it would be, Alex, you are not your thoughts. Mm-hmm. And I hope, you know, if, if I was able to pass that information on to my younger self, it would also be twofold it would be you are not your thoughts and secondly the the thing that's going on in your head now which i now know is an illness is something that's shared by hundreds of thousands of people across the world and you're not alone because until i basically went into recovery i thought i was the only person with my head and that makes it worse and actually what always makes me feel better is knowing that other people have had the same thoughts as i have yeah wonderful like that that um relating it's it's so powerful right thank you alex thank you thank for you. your wonderful uh story and for being so honest and um yeah this was a wonderful conversation yeah thank you honestly thank you so much for having me and as always it's a pleasure it's a pleasure to talk to you Ah, uh, thank you. No, thank you. Um, if the pleasure is all mine for accepting on my little project. Um, and thank you everybody for listening. Stay tuned for next week's. Bye. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We now have a new website, normaladjustments.com. And we're looking for guests to be featured in the podcast. If you or anybody you know wants to be featured in the podcast, please feel free to submit the form on the contact us section in the website. Follow us in the new Instagram page, Normal Adjustments, and stay connected with us on a daily basis with quotes, clips, and content of the weekly episode. See you next week.